Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. You're listening to The Fan Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Will Dykstra sitting in studio today for Terry on this beautiful Saturday morning. A little different than last Saturday where we had some snow falling here in Colorado. And I tell you what, uh, this is a great day to be out in the outdoors here in Colorado. Guys, we have got a fantastic show coming up today. Now, it is a little bit shortened because of the NFL draft. But uh, we have some awesome guests lined up, and uh, we're actually going to kick off the show today with a Hall of Fame angler that all of you fishermen out there in some way have been affected by this gentleman, Larry Dahlberg. If it's not, if you're a fly fisherman, it's been the Flashaboo um, innovation. If you're a musky, bass, pike fisherman, um, you know, whether it's certain rods you're using or uh, certain lures like uh, the Whopper Plopper, for example, guys, Larry Dahlberg has definitely put more fish in the boat for you than you might have realized. So uh, anyhow, we're going to have Larry coming up here. Kyle, do we have Larry on the line yet? Not quite yet. So we got Larry calling in. He's actually uh, out remote because he is from the north where it is still frozen. So he had to uh, escape some of that frozen weather to uh, to chase some fish. I believe he's in uh, somewhere off the coast of California fishing today. So anyhow, after that, we've got Josh from uh, Josh Kloshein uh, from Stagecoach State Park. We're going to talk some fishing there, as well as, uh, you know, we've, we've got another uh, uh, park segment with Rebecca Farrell, and we're going to be talking about some bearware stuff. So anyhow, Kyle, you say we got him? All righty. Larry, how are you this morning? Well, actually, uh, I've got the flu. But other than that, I'm fine. Oh, well, that's that's not, you know, a week ago today, Larry, I was actually laid up in a hospital with with a pretty nasty bug myself. So, uh, yeah, I feel you there. So anyhow, Larry, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, when we announced that we were going to be having you on the show, we got a ton of feedback about how awesome it is to get a chance to hear the one and only Larry Dahlberg talk fishing on the radio, especially here in Colorado. Um, you know, so Larry, first of all, thanks for coming on. And second of all, you know, for me personally, and something I wanted to talk to you about, uh, before we dive into, um, necessarily fishing strategy this morning is, uh, you know, in the last several years, um, I'd say the muskie and pike and big lake trout fishing industry has grown a ton. And it's been really hard to find a rod that can kind of do everything. Um, you know, as far as muskies, pike, big lakers that can throw big swim baits but isn't so heavy that you wear yourself out throwing it. And you've been working um, with a company that I actually work with as well, Temple Fork Outfitters, on developing uh, what's called the Big Fish Rod Series. And I'll tell you what, I got my hands on these rods two years ago, and my goodness, uh, there's some innovations that you came up with yourself that went into these rods that have definitely changed the game, especially when we're talking about fatigue. So talk a little bit about um, some of the characteristics of the the TFO Big Fish series of rods and why they are such a game changer for the muskie and and even big game market. Well, you know, there's a a lot of little details that go into what makes a rod do what it needs to do. Um, In the category that we're talking about, the big lure category, to me, the two most important things are being able to deliver the lure. In other words, how, how well it casts when you apply a lot of power to a lure that weighs a lot. 
And the other uh, side of it is being able to work the lure. Uh, so when you give that thing a snap, you can make the lure achieve its fullest potential. And uh, I guess the the main thing, it's kind of an elusive thing to, to uh, define, but it's got to do with the taper, which defines the way these things load. And they're a real precise, uh, I would say, a progressive kind of a taper where the more power you put into it, the, it bends a little deeper into the rod rather than, you know, just being being flat and keeping the same uh, parabola. But I, I don't even, you know, it's hard to describe. you got to pick yeah. them up and wing, wing a lure with them, and you go, wow. Uh, they accelerate very, very quickly, uh, and uh, they're very, very lightweight. Um, other details, the way they're balanced uh, makes a huge difference. It isn't just sheer weight of a rod that matters. What matters is when you're holding it in your hand, how much energy it takes to, to hold it there. And a big part of that is torque. In other words, just physical torque. And that has to do with the way they're balanced in there. They're uh, balanced very, very well. Uh, we'll put a balancer on the longer ones oftentimes to uh, offset the uh, torque that the longer shaft uh, might create. And then we've got a, a handle that's got a, a unique design on the bait casting versions. This designed to eliminate that uh, pressure point that occurs where the trigger uh, touches your fingers. And uh, rather than being made of a real hard material, it's made of an 80 drometer uh, rubber. And there's a double kind of a recess, so it spreads out that pressure. And that really makes a difference at the end of the day, especially if you're snapping uh, lures or cranking in lures that pull real hard. Absolutely. You know, for me personally, you know, I live here in Colorado, Larry, and but I spend a lot of time up in your neck of the woods there. I spend a ton of time on Lake of the Woods. I fish Millax a lot. You know, and we're, we're throwing, you know, big double 10, double 12, double 13 bladed musky baits. And at the end of the day, man, you know, in the past, your hands are kind of trashed by the end of the day. You're bruised up. And by day two, you're you know, thinking about throwing something a little bit lighter, but, uh, you know, <laughs> something, and, and I think the folks at TFO would probably uh, smack me for saying this, but what's unique to me about these rods is, is, you know, so for me personally, I'll, I, I like throwing a lot of different styles of baits, especially when we're talking about which we're going to talk about here in a second, um, targeting large predators from the shore, like a big laker or a pike. Uh, and I like, you know, you got to be able to mix it up a little bit and you know, I think I've heard you say it before. You, you, these rods, you can literally cast just about every lure weight with one of these rods, which, you know, we don't want to say, that, you know, you'd hate rod manufacturers probably hate hearing that. But the fact is, is when you have a tool that you can do everything with, that helps you a ton, especially when you're hiking into places, um, whether you're, or if you're even flying into places and, and you know, keeping that lightweight. So, anyhow, um, having a rod, you know, for example, I throw a, a super spook on the same rod that I can throw, you know, a 12 inch swim bait that's, you know, eight ounces. And, and to me, that's really unique in a rod. And, and, you know, it still has the the ability to work that Zara spook, but also has the ability to chuck that big swim bait. So anyhow, so what a lot of people wanted to hear you talk about, Larry, is, you know, you've, you've literally traveled the globe. You're a, a Hall of Fame angler and you've done it literally any way you've needed to, whether it was, uh, you know, out of a big boat in the ocean or out of a skiff in the Amazon, or out, or from the shore, uh, you know. And here in Colorado, we have a unique opportunity this time of year of targeting giant lake trout, uh, you know, from the shore. And when you and I talked a couple weeks ago about this, you actually brought up the point of, you know, this time of year when these fish are chasing shallow, the shore angler actually has the uh, probably the edge on the angler that might be targeting these fish from a boat. 
Yeah, there's two reasons for that. One is just your presence in a boat freaks out lake trout. Uh, I've had an experience. I'll just share a real an- a short anecdote with you. This goes back many, many, many years. Uh, Jimmy Linder and I uh, were traveling on the north shore of uh, Lake Superior. We're going to shoot something that I-, I discovered this phenomenon when it rained real hard uh, on the north shore. It was a little puddle that collected water that was maybe it'd be 60 degrees. It'd be dumping into Lake Superior, which was in the uh, 34 degree range. And these lakes try to come around this uh, uh, this mouth. And I could get out in a flow tube, and I'm telling you, every single cast. So anyway, we went up to make sure they were there, and I used to bring sucker minnows with me on a jig head just for a quick test, and then I'd usually go to uh, crankbaits. But anyway, I, I went out, and bam, 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 bam. I was j- getting hit, and, and the suckers were getting ripped off every time. And I paddle. I'd say to Jimmy, man, they're out here like crazy. We'll come here in the morning with, uh, with uh, crankbaits and kill them. There was a couple of locals there that was telling me, oh, no, you're just losing your bit. You're getting hung in the rocks, this or that. So I put on a, a cranker and boom, caught one, boom, caught another, caught another, and then uh, came in. Next morning, we show up. We had to launch our boat uh, several miles away. We come ordering in. Here's these locals sitting there in a, a canoe that they dragged in over the rocks. And they're laughing. Ha ha. We had, you know, three, four of them. We got here this morning, but they quit biting. And I looked at Jimmy. Oh, crap. So anyway, we launched the float tube anyway out of the boat. I went 50, 60 feet away from them, started casting, started catching fish. Bing, bing, bing. They moved the canoe over next to me. Bam, they quit. I moved my float tube over to where they've been sitting. Bang, 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 bang. Fish after fish, eight or 10 pounders. Why? Because they knew we were there, and you can't catch a fish that knows you're after it. Second thing, um, in spring, in, in shallow water, there's something we used to call, jokingly, invaginating the shoreline. And uh, we used to do it musky fish, and it still works. Uh, if you position over deep, open water, and you're casting to uh, cover, fish is holding a cover, and he starts to follow. He gets out over the great beyond, and uh, oftentimes he'll drift away. If he loses interest, he's he's gone, and, and he knows that he's got all the time in the world because that fish is moving out uh, from shallow to deep. If you flip that around, as that lure is moving from deep to shallow that fish has got to make up his mind because it's going to get to a point that's too shallow for him to be able to get it so he's got to he's got to make a a choice before that thing gets out of range and oftentimes uh, can make a big difference Uh, so if you're shore fishing advantage or if you're in a boat you might want to tuck up real tight absolutely you know that's great advice you know a lot of guys uh here i i know you know, assume or, or think that a, especially a big lake trout, you know, you're going to have to fish deep. You're going to have to, you know, you either need a downrigger or you need a vertical jig, tube jigs deep for them. And the reality of it is, is these fish are predators and they're going to follow the food source. So whether it's a kokanee uh, salmon-based food source or a rainbow trout-based food, food source, they're going to follow that food. And, you know, oftentimes, Larry, we see these fish literally chasing like orcas or like sharks trapping the bait next to the shoreline and blowing it up mm-hmm. on the surface, which yeah. led us to our, you know, our next, which, which people here in Colorado are starting to get um, tuned onto it. But, you know, the fact that we can catch these fish on a topwater bait, you know, mm-hmm. we're talking 15, 20, 25, 30 pound Lakers that are hitting a topwater bait. And I'll tell you what, um, you know, I've seen a lot of episodes of the, uh, of the hunt for big fish. And the only thing I can compare it to, I haven't actually done it is, the these lake trout hit these baits with such ferocity it's very similar to the energy that you see with like a peacock bass or something like that so people overlook the idea that a lake trout is a good heavy fast 
strong predator outside of something that's just swimming lazily on the bottom, eating stuff at will. I mean, these <laughs> fish literally, you know, they get going. Yeah, they get going pretty, pretty good. Uh, it's pri- primarily what you're going to find with Lakers, in my experience anyway. If you want to target the really, really big ones, there is a temperature range that you can set your watch by, and that's 48 to 52 degrees. Absolutely. And they like that temperature band. And when you have a prey that intersects into that 4852 uh, uh, spawning run of the Arctic suckers, actually, is that these Lakers will move into water that's three, four feet deep. It can be 40, 50 pounds, and they'll bite on the surface. They'll bite on the mid-depth. They'll bite wherever it is. And they'll eat stuff that weighs five pounds. A big, a 40-pound Laker will eat a five-pound lunch any day. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Larry, hey, we are uh, kind of at the back of a break here, but I want to tell you again, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Uh, you can check out Larry. Larry, how can people check out or learn more stuff about you if they haven't? Well, I don't really know. I'm not too much of it. I've got a Facebook page uh, that I post every now and then when there's something worth posting. Uh, and uh, probably the best way to actually contact me, there's a forum on the Hunt for Big Fish website. It's a little tiny thing that says Ask Larry. And we have a forum uh, broken into saltwater, freshwater, general questions, and uh, lure making. The one that's really, really popular is the lure making one. We've got all sorts of uh, video tutorials. But the Ask Larry thing on my uh, 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 Hunt for Big Fish uh, website will put you directly in touch with me, and I answer all of them myself. So Awesome, guys. So there's an opportunity for you to get in touch with Larry yourself, whether it's about lure making, whether it's about, you know, a bite you're stuck on that you can't quite figure out. Larry's going to, you know, he just told you he's, he's there, and he's going to answer all that stuff. So, Larry, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for everything you've done in the fishing industry especially, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Get better. Uh, thank you. Bye. All righty, guys. That was Larry Dahlberg, Hall of Fame angler, giving some insight on targeting trophy lake trout from the shore. Uh, we are going to take a break now. We're going to be coming back with uh, Josh Klosheim from Stagecoach State, State Park. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. My name is Will Dykstra. I'm sitting in studio for Terry, who is out on assignment. I believe he's in Las Vegas uh, this weekend. So, uh, yeah, so Terry's missing this beautiful Colorado weather while he's in Vegas. So, anyhow, guys, we're going to go straight to the phones. We have Josh Klosheim from Stagecoach State Park on to talk about what's going on at Stagecoach. Josh, how are you today? Will, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on, Josh. You know, I, you and I talked earlier in the week about this. You know, Stagecoach State Park has an absolute ton to offer uh, when it comes to being, you know, an outdoorsman in Colorado, whether it's hiking, whether it's camping, whether it's fishing or boating, um, any of that. And, uh, you know, something we didn't talk about is, you know, when I was a kid through high school, we used to spend a ton of time in the Yampa Valley, which is where Stagecoach uh, State Park is located targeting giant fish, whether it was big northern pike or big trout. Uh, you know, Stagecoach State Park is or Stagecoach Reservoir is actually home of the uh, state record uh, northern pike, which was you know thirty pounds, fifteen ounces. So that is an absolute giant fish. So anyhow, a lot going on at, at Stagecoach, Josh. I certainly don't want to try to say everything because I know you know more about the park than I do. So what's going on at Stagecoach? 
Um, well, we're starting kind of our uh, spring into summer operations here. Um, <clears throat> the lake, all, you know, 820 acres are clear of ice. Uh, so fishing's been pretty good everywhere. Um, the rainbows are starting to run up in the inlet. Um, so a lot of guys are targeting them specifically um, in the stream below the spillover. The uh, the pike this year, we I mean, over the winter, it kind of drops off under the ice. Um, but I know a few guys have started picking them up along the shore even um, this spring. Uh, as far as the trout go, uh, the biggest I saw so far this spring was about um, this guy caught two 11-pounders back-to-back. Jeez. Um, so very big fish, very healthy fish. Um, and they seem to be hitting... Most of, like typical of a spring, um, they're kind of you know eating pretty much anything you're throwing in the water, uh, which is convenient up at the inlet. The Talwaters area, which stays open all winter, um, that's starting to get a lot more heavy use. So if you want to fish there, definitely early morning or late afternoon is the time to hit it so you can get in the parking lot. Um, Absolutely. Maybe during the week, too, if, if if you can get time off during the week, yeah, I imagine. The weekends are, I mean, it's whatever you think is worth fishing. You know, if you want to fish shoulder to shoulder, hit hit the weekends. If you, uh, you want some space and some pools to yourself, yeah, during the week and then early in the morning and later in the afternoon are the times to go there. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I won't talk about it too long, but but if you're a northern pike fisherman this time of year, especially at a place like Stagecoach Reservoir, these large fish are in shallow, uh, either gearing up for the spawn or they're, they've already started spawning or, uh, you know, they'll be post-spawn soon. So this is a great opportunity to literally catch some of the biggest fish of the entire year, and you can do it from the shore at Stagecoach, and then on May 1st, uh, I believe, or yeah, May 1st, uh, the lake do, does, does the lake open to boating? That's correct. It opens to motorized boating, so currently you can throw in belly boats, canoes, rafts, and, and, and all that stuff, kind of hand launch them. Uh, May 1st, though, starts the motorized boating season, so... Absolutely awesome. Well, uh, what else is going on? You know, real quick, let's talk about what else, other than the awesome fishing, um, what else does Stagecoach uh, State Park have to offer? So um, our trails are all open. We had a little snow on uh, one of them for a while, um, but everything's cleared up now. So we've got about um, eight miles of trail um, on the park here. Um, and it's good for hiking, running, biking. Um, they're all graveled and fairly even, um, so they're good starter trails if you're wanting to get out on a mountain bike or try something new. Um, and then those trails also, they connect with some really cool areas you can get to. Um, a little later on here in the spring, uh, County Road 18, which is the one that goes out to the Talwaters, when that opens up the rest of the way, you can get all the way down to Sarvis Creek, um, and hit trails in the Sarvis Creek Wilderness area, um, and also fish down there. It's a different fishing option from the lake and the towel waters and stuff down below. Um, so check that out if you haven't. Um, as far as everything else on park, our, uh, we just have one campground open right now. The rest will open, I believe, second weekend of May, um, but don't quote me on that. And... Uh, so camping's been really good. The weather's been uh, pretty warm lately, and the nights have been kind of mild. Um, 
So those are our big things for the spring. And then heading into the summer, we're working on our um, summer programming. For We do a lot of uh, educational programs for kids and families visiting the park, as well as we have a few school groups that will come in, um, and we'll do special programs with them as well. So we're kind of getting that prepped and geared up. Awesome. So if somebody wanted to, to camp at Stagecoach, would they have to make a reservation, or is it kind of first come, first serve? So the big weekends uh, definitely have to make a reservation. Um, they open up six months in advance, and you know I've heard people say that they wait up until 12 a.m. to make their reservation for like Fourth of July weekend and stuff um, to make sure they get a spot. Those weekends fill up real quick, um, and so ReserveAmerica.com is where you can make all those reservations for the park. Just search for Stagecoach, and uh, they'll have all the sites pulled up, and you can make your reservations there. Um, over the summer, for sure, during the weekdays, um, you can usually find the, come in and find a spot um, here or there if it's not a holiday weekend or anything like that. Um, but it's always best to make a reservation, especially this year, uh, Sylvan Lake um, – has a lot of the park closed and so we're finding a lot of people are you know trying to find new places for their family camping trips um and so we've gotten quite quite a few people calling in uh this year awesome so you guys got a lot going on it sounds like and uh folks if you guys want to find anything else uh anything else out about uh stagecoach state park you can check it out on the colorado parks and wildlife website just uh search stagecoach state park in there and you can find out any more information that you might want to know about activities other than the great information that josh has given us today josh we're coming up against a break here thank you so much for coming on i hope you guys have a great season up there uh full of some big fish and a lot of happy campers sounds good thank you will all righty all right, guys, that was Josh Kloshaim, the park manager up there at Stagecoach State Park. A great opportunity to get your family out at Stagecoach, whether you are t- whether you got a boat or whether you're shore fishing or hiking or mountain biking. It, mountain biking, it sounds like you have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of fun stuff in the outdoors. So uh, you're listening to 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. All righty, guys. My name is Will Dykstra. I'm in studio today for Terry, who is out in the sunny Las Vegas this weekend. But I guess the joke's on him because we have beautiful spring weather finally here this weekend. So... Um, I'm going to go right to the phones, guys. I have Rebecca Farrell, who is a public information officer for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And I'll tell you what, having somebody with this position is absolutely imperative when we're talking about wildlife issues um, that the public need to be aware of and kind of just what's going on with Colorado's wildlife. So um, let's bring uh, Rebecca on right now. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? Hey, well, good. How are you? You know, I am great. It is a beautiful Saturday morning here in Colorado, which we are excited about because we've had some snow the last couple weekends. And for (laughs) for those weekend warriors out there, this is a great opportunity to get out and chase some fish or um, do some hiking or mountain biking and all that stuff. So we got a lot going on. Um, 
but you have a ton of information for us to talk about today uh, regarding what's going on with wildlife this time of year and some things that all of us probably need to be aware of, especially those of us that might live um, adjacent to, um, you know, some wooded areas or near the National Forest. Uh, so what's going on with wildlife? Well, today I really just kind of wanted to talk to everybody about um, the emergence of bears this time of year. Um, obviously, you know, spring is sprung, as you were just saying, and so it is time to uh, start seeing bears while you're out and about uh, doing those hikes and, and out in those woods. And so I just really want to kind of remind people that it's a, it's a really good time to start thinking and being bear aware and making sure that you're practicing good habits to reduce and, and hopefully eliminate those uh, potential human-bear interactions that we see starting up this time of year. Absolutely. So, Rebecca, there there are some, you know, preventative measures that we can take. And, you know, obviously, you know, we talk about this a lot. Uh, you know, my family, for example, has a cabin in a very highly populated area with bears. And we know that there are certain things that we just can't do that we'd like to do down there, you know, whether it's have bird feeders out, um, you know, or even, you know, leaving your trash can outside versus inside because you don't like the smell in your garage. I mean, everybody understands that. But the reality is, is all that stuff is attracting bears. And more importantly, um, it's not necessarily a natural behavior that we're going to get out of these bears that, you know, that they would typically be doing um, if they didn't live in an area adjacent to, you know, some of these suburban areas. Right. And, and bears are super curious. They are really smart and they're super adaptable. So um, when they find a food source, um, pretty much anything that has calories, they are going to try and get into it. So you're absolutely right. The things that, that we always recommend people do, and, you know, again, we kind of get into some different habits over the winter. So we want to talk early this year and, and really start thinking about taking down bird feeders, for example. Um, bird seed has a ton of calories. And so if they're open and available, uh, birds are going to come get them. And once they're there once and they realize that's a good food source, they are very likely to come back. So that is one big thing we ask people to do. This time of year, you don't really need to feed the birds. They've got flowers, they've got seeds, they've got things going on in, in, in nature, and they don't really need our, our help with bird feeders this time of year. And certainly trash is, is a big one. And, you know, we, we feel like we're a little bit of a broken record sometimes, but it's absolutely important that people are aware that that is a food source for bears. And what we think of as trash and um, is sort of not a big deal uh, to them. It's, it's a place they can get calories. And so they will absolutely get into any kind of standard trash can, whether it's metal or plastic. Um, and so, you know, if you don't live in an area with an ordinance to have a bear-proof trash container, we, we ask that you definitely keep the trash inside, um, keep things in your garage, keep your garage closed. Um, if you have something that's extra smelly and you really don't want to deal with it in your garage and you've got maybe a, a garage freezer, you can throw it in there until trash day. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do. It's sort of like recycling, right? Like it, it takes a little bit of extra work up front, but once you do it, the rewards are, are really going to pay off. And, and so we want people to really be thinking about all of those small things that they can be doing. Absolutely. Now, something that, uh, you know, a lot, and Rebecca, maybe you can talk about this a little bit, but something that a lot of people don't realize is with bears in Colorado, the, the, the system that Colorado Parks and Wildlife has in place, there is a strike system with these bears. And, you know, I'm a hunter. I, I harvest a lot of animals every year, and, you know, but I don't like seeing um, something that has to be, uh, you know, euthanized because we're not taking care of our things properly. So can you talk briefly maybe about what the, the how, kind of how, what the policy is and exactly why that policy is in place? 
Sure. So, you know, we don't want that to, to sound like a scary thing. We don't want people to be warned off from calling us. But, um, you know, our goal is always to try and relocate or to kind of stare the bear back into its natural habitat and territory. Um, but, you know, we, we would ask that if something is amiss in your neighborhood, um, you know, you see a bear, we absolutely haze it. You know, make noise, try and get it out of there yourself. Um, if you see a bear that is in garbage, if it's getting into, you know, a pet food container that a neighbor has out, um, please do call us. Um, we will, we will on that first call, do everything we can to try and, and move that bear, um, in, in a positive manner. But if, if a bear is seen in the same area twice, if it's being aggressive, if it gets into a home, um, you know, we really don't have an option. Um, our, our default position is that, you know, we are here for both humans and wildlife, but humans are always going to kind of take that priority. So, um, you know, we, we don't want it to sound like a scary thing, but you can't have a bear acclimated to a neighborhood. You can't have a bear, um, you know, getting into areas it shouldn't be in and think, oh, you know, it's not attacking anybody. It's fine. It's not. Um, it's not where a bear should be. And so we ask that you do give us a call so we can try and remedy the situation early um, before it gets acclimated, and that will give it a better chance of being able to be relocated and, and keeping that they're safe. Absolutely. And, and Rebecca, like like you said, and I'll, and I'll follow it up, you know, we definitely want to encourage people to, to be interactive with our wildlife officers with something like this, because the reality is, is if you wait too long, then it does become a problem. And if you didn't call, if you didn't call, more than likely somebody else is going to call. So it's important to help take care of that situation as early as possible uh, for your sake, as well as for the bear's sake. So um, Rebecca, I want to thank you so much for your position and, and the fact that you are definitely, uh, you know, on both sides, you're, you're definitely wanting to inform the public so that the wildlife um, doesn't have to suffer for it, but also want us to be aware of things that we can do to keep ourselves safe, but also to keep the wildlife safe. So, um, Rebecca, is there, is there anything else going on from a, from a public information standpoint here in Colorado as far as wildlife goes? Um, you know, the other thing that happens this time of year that, that we see quite frequently is people um, seeing young wildlife out and about, um, and maybe they'll see, you know, uh, a, sm a small deer, you know, they'll see a, a baby deer, and they'll think, oh, it's abandoned, it's all by itself, um, you know, I need to take care of that situation, and for the most part, nature is going to take care of itself. And so, you know, we really encourage people that if you see young wildlife, you know, odds are um, its parents are nearby. It's it's okay. They're out looking for food. They're looking for some shelter. Um, and it's it's more than likely fine. Um, you don't have to call us for, you know, seeing a, an animal by itself until or unless you see it's there for 24 hours or so and hasn't moved and doesn't seem like its parents have come back or if it seems injured, then give us a call. But certainly don't try and move an animal yourself. Um, and, and be cognizant of the fact that um, not every animal that's by itself is abandoned. It, it may just be, you know, its mom is out looking for some food for it, and it'll be uh, perfectly fine. So, um, you know, I think uh, one of my counterparts is going to come and talk to Terry about that in a couple of weeks, but uh, we definitely encourage people to kind of look at our website, see what the rules of the road are when it comes to young wildlife, and, and certainly we have tons of opportunities for people to learn about how to interact with bears as well. Um, but, you know, it's, just, it's one of those things that people see it. It's small. It's seems fragile and frail, but uh, nature's amazing. It's got a way of taking care of its own. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on. And again, guys, make sure you're being bearware out there. Make sure you're uh, definitely doing your due diligence as far as uh, you know, doing whatever you can to keep wildlife wild. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. All right, thanks, Will.
All righty, guys, that was Rebecca Farrell, again, a public information officer with Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And again, she brought up some great points about making sure that you're doing your due diligence and keeping all of this wildlife wild. All righty, guys, we're up against a break. We got Collins Elick coming up next to talk about pre-spawn bass fishing and maybe some rod selection along with that. You're listening to The Fan Outdoors. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Sun Enterprises, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented in part by Honey Smoked Fish Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. All righty, guys, we are back here for the last segment of the day. And I have a very good friend of mine coming on here, Collins Elick, who is head of the bass division at TFO Rods. And I'll tell you what, Collins has literally fished for everything and uh, is kind of headed up that that bass division with TFO. So we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, some springtime bass fishing, some pre-spawn uh, tactics for targeting uh, largemouth bass and smallmouth bass. Collins, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great. How you doing, Will? You know, I'm doing really well. It's, uh, you know, last weekend, a week ago, right now, it was snowing and freezing cold while my son and I were fishing a walleye tournament together. And uh, it, it, I would have, uh, I'd love to have had a redo so we could have this kind of weather. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, 82 and sunny where I am. It's, it's just absolutely lovely today. In fact, I'm standing on my patio talking to you right now. So. Awesome. Well, Collins, you know, we talk, all, you know, all year long about, you know, different kinds of fishing and, you know, and rod selection with that even. But let's talk, you know, for you as an angler, when you're targeting, you know, say uh, pre-spawn fish or spawning fish, and we'll kind of primarily talk largemouth bass here, you know, what are some of your go-to tactics when you're doing that? You know, what's, what, I, what I like about I mean, pre-spawn fishing in particular, but bass fishing nationwide is it, it's so different region to region to region. And you know, what, what I'm typically doing here is completely different than your approach there. Your water temperature is probably in the, what, high 50s right now? Yeah, we're, we're mid-50s to high 50s, and yeah, you know, and it's, I know that's completely different than what's going on in Texas. Yeah, I mean, we've already spawned, we're in post-spawn right now. It's, it's awesome, but it, the, the variety is what makes it so cool. But when I'm, when I'm thinking pre-spawn bass, you know, I'm, you've got to trust your electronics. That's the number one thing because they're moving offshore. They're getting into deeper water, they're, and they're congregating together. Once you find them, stay on them. You know, you're usually going to really stick quite a few once you get there. But, um, you know, follow your electronics, find them, and fish, fish deep. And, um, and so, you know, if I, if I graph a fish and I'm, I'm fishing 30 feet of water, 20 feet of water, 22 feet of water, whatever it happens to be, I'm way less worried about, you know, my specific bait selection than fishing the correct depth. I want to know how deep that crankbait really is running. I want to know that I'm hitting where that group of fish is because, you know, there's not a lot of clarity, especially in the south and in the southeast um, in water that deep. And you just need to get the bait in front of the fish, and those fish will eat when you get a bait in front of them. Absolutely, absolutely. So now, you know, we're, we're talking some pre-spawn stuff, and as we start moving closer to the spawn, some of these fish start moving up, then they slide back out, they move up. Um, you know, so what are kind of some of your tactics during that transition time frame? Are you looking more at a soft plastic approach? Are you throwing a crankbait? Are you throwing, I mean, what are you doing? Throwing lipless? I mean, what, what's, what's kind of your go-to? So if I was fishing um, in kind of a transition stage, the three, three things I would have on the deck of my boat at all times would be kind of a, uh, a, a Texas rig Cinco, 
I guess I'd have four things on my head. I'd have a wacky rig Cinco. <laughs> I'd have a Texas rig Cinco. I'd have a square bill, and I'd have a deep diving crankbait. And, you know, I, I don't think I'd have to reach into the rod locker once during a whole day of fishing if I had those four rods out. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, so it's A, being prepared to, to target all depth ranges there, but also, you know, day in and day out, you're going to find fish, especially this time of year when you have cold fronts roll through um, that are changing the, the barometric pressure. Mm-hmm. These fish, you know, could be doing one thing at the beginning of the day and something completely different at the end of the day. So being prepared to cover those depth ranges, but also being prepared to cover those strike zones because those strike zones shrink and grow throughout the day or even throughout the week. And you, you need to be able to pre- be prepared to, you know, change your speed. Sometimes you need to present it slowly. Sometimes you need to speed it up. But be cognizant of that. It, it can be the square bill all day. We'll say they're moving up and they're, they're in their transition. You're throwing a square bill. Well, if it's not happening fast before you give up on it, if you're confident, your electronics are validating that you're fishing the right area, start slowing it down, start slowing it down, start slowing it down. And, you know, I, I got no dog in the real fight. But one thing I do with all my reels now, it's so much easier for me to reel fast. So I've just switched all 6.3 to 1s. I can crank that as fast as I need to, but it's so much easier for me as an angler to fish slow with a slow retrieve reel. And, you know, that's just something that you find out as an independent angler. But um, vary your speed because they're going to want it a certain way. All you got to do is spend time on the water and figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's some great information. You know, make sure you're prepared when you're out there targeting these bass, you know, because you could run into some fish that are pre-spawn. You could run into some bedding fish. And, and you know, with these warm temperatures that, we, that we've had and then the cooling temperatures, we could have some post-spawn fish at that too. So those are all things that, you know, and again, trust your electronics and having the right gear. So real quick, Collins, let's talk briefly, um, just because you got a couple minutes left. And, about yeah, what, I got, I'm going to tell you a quick story real quick, if that's okay, based yeah. on something you just said. I was fishing Caddo Lake in, in East Texas this week, and we, we, we butted about 120 fish that day. All but about five of them were within the last two hours of a 12-hour day of fishing. <laughs> so that transition, you're talking about it. You know, if your plan's right, just stick to it, you know, because it's going to happen. Absolutely. Go ahead now. I'm sorry. No, you're good. No, that's a great point. I mean, and I tell a lot of people this, stick to your game plan. Stick to what you know best so you're confidently fishing. Um, Collins, real quick, we got about a minute to go here. Let's talk real quick about what TFO is doing in the bass game and kind of the different rod categories uh, that, that anglers have a choice with and that TFO is really making a, making a name for themselves in the conventional angling market. Thank you. Yeah, we have, uh, we have three basic bass families. We have what we call our professional series, which is a, um, you know, it's one action, six powers. It'll do just, it's a, you know, it'll do pretty much anything well. Um, it's a very generic, medium fast action. If, if an angler wanted to fish that rod for every technique, all they'd have to do is find the right length and power and they'd be good to go. And we have our uh, Gary Loomis tactical series, which has some more technique specific actions. The one I'm really excited about is our pacemaker series. The pacemaker series is the first rod series I'm ever I'm aware of after 24 years in the industry that was really designed to pair with terminal tackle. It's made to fish modern lines, modern braids, fluorocarbon, copolymer, and um, and what that means is is we've gone away from the traditional MBR action, mag bass action, and actually slowed the rod down because these new lines have no shock. You know, shocks where you're going to lose fish, shocks where you're going to break fish off, shocks where you're going to pull a bit. Uh, a bait away from a fish or lack thereof, I should say. I'm sorry. 
and the, the pacemaker slows down, got a more progressive action, and it gives you the shock that that monofilament always provided for those magbath rods, but that the braid, copolymer, and fluorocarbon do not. Absolutely. That's some great information about, you know, kind of some rod mechanics or some, um, you know, specifications that go into building the perfect rod. Um, and that rod series is designed by Cliff Pace, who is a Bassmaster Classic champion and angler or an elite yeah, angler series. Uh, uh, you know, he's fifth as of the start of today on the uh, Grand Lake Elite Series event going on today. Awesome. Well, good luck to Cliff today. And Collins, we are up against it here. Thank you so much for coming on. Some great information. Where can people find out more about TFO Rods? Uh, they can call our 800 number, 800 number 800-638-9052, or they can look us up online, www.tforods.com, T-F-O-R-O-D-S.com. Awesome. All right, Collins. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you, um, you know, sharing some of your knowledge on all this, and we'll uh, definitely talk soon. Take care and tell the family hello. All righty. All right, guys, that was Collins Elick with TFO Rods, and again, an angler that is literally fished for bass all over the country and some great information pertaining targeting bass this time of year. Be prepared, trust your electronics, and you're going to be on the fish. Guys, it has been an awesome one-hour show due to the NFL draft. Hopefully uh, your respective NFL teams have made the choices that you've uh, been hoping for. And uh, go out and enjoy this glorious uh, Saturday. Uh, You're listening to 104.3 The Fan.